I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Structured-based drug discovery has long been used. Technologic advances have given this approach greater power. Shouti believes its next-generation computational structure-based drug discovery platform will allow it to develop small-molecule drugs that are superior in safety and efficacy to biologic and peptide therapies. We spoke to Raymond Stevens, CEO of Shouti, about the company's structure-based drug discovery platform, how it works, and why he believes it will be able to produce small molecule drugs that will be superior to biologics. Ray, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Daniel, so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. We're going to talk about Show T, its recent launch of Basecamp Bio as its discovery engine, and its efforts to develop small molecule therapies to replace biologics and peptides. I think most listeners will understand the benefits of small molecule drugs compared to biologics, but if you think about global health problems, these differences become amplified. Can, can you offer the case for why small molecule drugs are desirable? Yeah, absolutely. I, for for me, I think there's three primary reasons. You know, one, a, as a chemist, I'm always amazed at what small molecules can do to reduce human suffering and, and to treat various diseases. Um, and as a chemist, I have to say, uh, I think whatever a biologics medicine can do, why can't a small molecule do it better uh, and make a better medicine? The the second reason is, and this is sort of personal, very early in my academic career. Um, as a professor at the Scripps Research Institute, my daughter was four years old, and she came down with a rare disease called Kawasaki's disease. This is where the immune system decides that the circulatory system is foreign and basically attacks it. You know, she was treated with a breakthrough biologic, uh, Remicade, and, and, you know, she was saved by that drug. So I'm incredibly grateful, grateful to the breakthrough biologics um, that are that really have transformed healthcare, but during the whole process, one of the things that stayed in my mind was, you know, we're so lucky to have access to these medicines. What about children, you know, around the world that don't have access, you know, to these biologics medicines? And then third, as a family with three kids, you know, we we have traveled around the world, and I've seen firsthand in the world that, you know, more than half the world does not have access to these great biologics. Even in my home state of Maine, some in the state don't have access to biologics, uh, certain types of biologics. There's a really big, I think, unmet need for more accessible medicines. Um, And there's a technology solution, small molecules. Now, my investor friends also point out, you know, Ray, it's great that that's what gets you up in the morning and, and has you so motivated. Um, but, you know, you also need to, you know, make these things so that, you know, it, it is a business at the end of the day, you have to support it, which is correct. And that's where it comes full circle. I think small molecules 
can be best in class to treat different diseases. So those are the reasons why I think, you know, small molecule drugs are so desirable globally. You say if you can do it with biologics, why not with small molecules? But I, I take it there are challenges in, in terms of going after specific target. What's been the limitations of small molecule drugs? And do you think there are limits to them? Or do you believe we can hit virtually any target with a, a small molecule? Yeah. So, so, so first, Daniel, you know, I want to reiterate, biologics have re- revolutionized healthcare, you know, and it's really been over the last 20 years, we've just seen so many great breakthroughs. Um, and, and there's three primary reasons, I think, of why biologics are so good. Um, you know, one is, I, I think there's safety, speed, and less risk. Biologics are great at validating a drug target in the body. Um, we now know, you know, with so many um, cases that they've proven to be quite safe. Um, you can get them to patients and to the market very efficiently. This allows one to go through the clinic faster, increased chance of success, relatively sort of safer. Um, however, you know, I also think that there's been a big breakthrough in safety access for small molecules over the past, you know, decade plus. We have better assays to, you know, tease out, you know, any type of safety risks that might happen. So, you know, at Show T, you know, we see a real opportunity to go after biologics validated targets. So, you know, we just just mentioned and you, you know, you you mentioned this in your question, you know, these biologics, they validate the target. They demonstrate that this target is a good target to go after to treat a certain unmet need or disease. And so once it's been validated, going after with a small molecule, it it allows it in a sense de-risks it. And so we have a reduced risk on biology, and we can still fill a really big unmet need globally. Shouti is using a structural approach to drug discovery. When we hear about platform technologies these days, it, it usually involves AI. Structural approaches have been around for a, a long time. How have emerging technologies changed structural approaches and, and what you're able to do with them? Yeah, so I've I've been doing, you know, biotech and also been an academic professor for 25 years. And I've I've lived through what I would call three waves of computational drug discovery, really dating back to sort of the 1990s. And and these these computational companies, um, they they generate fantastic tools for us, uh, whether it's, you know, computational methods to design a molecule into a binding site, to visualize it. And, and I think we're now seeing what I refer to as sort of the, the third wave of this um, with, with AI and other machine learning techniques. So, you know, these, you know, I, they're great breakthroughs. They contribute to the field. But I personally do not believe today the computer can do it all. Um, I heard the same things 25 years ago. I heard the same thing 15 years ago. And I'm hearing it now. At the end of the day, you have to make the molecule. You have to understand the chemistry and the biology of the molecules um, in the body. And this is something that still requires great drug hunter skills. And so what I would sort of complement to your question, you know, AI is helping us. It's a tool, but it's not going to answer everything. So one of the approaches that we've been um, adding on to this AI and machine learning are techniques such as cryo-electron microscopy. We've, you know, we and others have integrated it with machine learning 
And when you combine the experimental techniques with the, with the computational techniques, it's incredibly powerful. Just as a, a quick representative example, in cryo-electron microscopy, we can visualize and we can see at atomic detail the protein molecule, the drug target. We then use spatial recognition technology, machine learning, to see all those protein molecules and exactly what they look like. And then we can bring them together and find similar looking molecules. And we can see the shapes and how the shapes change. And so it's really, to me, about integrating the methods, not just AI alone. And then lastly, I would say what's most important, you really got to integrate you know, both AI and machine learning with the chemistry, with the biology, and, and with the predictive methods for safety that we talked about before. It's really the, I think the magic has always been, um, how do you integrate all these great tools together to, be, to make better and safer medicines? Shoti talks about not only replacing biologics and peptides with small molecules, but using small molecules to be more effective. How precisely can you change a molecule to offer its properties to enhance it? Yeah, so one of the, you know, to me, the first step, you know, in, in developing a small molecule is, you know, we, we look at binding, we look at the, the interaction. I always use the lock and key analogy where the small molecule or the medicine is the key and it fits into the lock in the body. So we can see that detail. The exact shape we can see, binding the interaction, I think is only part of what makes a great small molecule. In fact, 10, even 15 years ago, we knew how to design the, the interactions so we could really optimize uh, binding uh, how potent the molecule would be. So I think that's become pretty straightforward, um, relatively straightforward to do, uh, improving the binding affinity. What's still really challenging is, you know, the PK and PD properties, the bioavailability. You know, what, what will the molecule do when it enters the human body? It's amazing still today uh, as we, you know, we go through animal trials and we try to, to model these things. Um, what exactly is going to happen when a molecule enters the body? That's still where it takes, I think, a, a great drug hunter, that intuition. It's, it's all about balancing all the different properties and needs. And so that's something that we try to do. I think the field has learned. And at Show T, we really focus at the very beginning on how do we balance all the properties, not just potency, not just binding, but all the other PKPD bioavailability properties. Shoti is initially focused on targeting G-protein-coupled receptors or GPCRs. What makes this a compelling target for you? G-protein-coupled receptors, you know, they account for approximately one-third of all marketed medicines. Um, it's, well, it's a well-established protein family. Uh, you know, the, the other family a lot of times people think of are kinases or proteases. Um, GPCRs are the largest. We have in our bodies you know, based on the Human Genome Project, we have 826 different G-protein-coupled receptors. You, you see because of a GPCR rhodopsin. You smell because of olfactory receptors, GPCRs. You know, our hearts are pumping. You know, we have uh, molecules like adrenaline that, you know, control certain functions. And so they're clearly, it's, it's a really important drug class. The reason why I went into the field when I started as an assistant professor at UC Berkeley 25 years ago, 
uh, I really wanted to get structural information for G-protein-coupled receptors because it was kind of considered to be one of the holy grails of the field. Uh, one, is a membrane protein that made it you know, particularly challenging. Uh, but two, because they are so important for our body function, as we were just discussing, uh, I thought they were really important to structurally characterize these. And finally, uh, in 2007, we finally had a breakthrough with the first human G-protein coupled receptor structure. And once we got that, we developed the process to get a lot others. And now we have structures of, you know, I think more than 150 different GPCRs that control functions in our body. And so those are now available for structure-based drug discovery. How, how difficult a target is that for a small molecule? You know, most GPCRs, you know, the fact is they can be screened with traditional high throughput screening. Um, and that's why we've actually already today, um, GPCR accounts for one third of all marketed drugs. So it's, again, a clearly a very druggable target. But, only, you know, 75% of GPCRs have not been drugged and, and or, or not with a small molecule. And that's a lot of opportunity. You know, so many of our body functions currently are not targeted um, yet. And so, you know, and part of, you know, one of the examples of which, you know, type of receptor GPCR has been most challenging, you know, what we call the multi-domain GPCRs, uh, class Bs, something like, you know, GLP-1 receptor, where they have two domains, their natural ligand is a peptide that in a sense stabilizes these different domains together it's been more challenging to make a small molecule for these types. But again, with the recent breakthroughs in you know, GPCR structural biology, combined with cryo-EM and machine learning, combined with the better safety tools, um, great new opportunities emerge today. Now, what's it about your approach that gives you confidence you'll be successful at going after targets that have traditionally been hit with biologics? Uh, you know, the... My, my sort of, you know, initial answer to that question is, you know, first, it's experience. You know, the old saying that investors invest in the team first, it's true. And, and we have a great, you know, drug discovery team with great small molecule drug hunters. So I think that's, that's one aspect. Again, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, the other members of the team have a lot of experience, uh, you know, really focused on small molecule uh, drug discovery. Second, you know, getting the structural data, as a previous question that you asked, you know, previously we didn't have easy access to the structural data, particularly in real time. And so getting access to this type of data in real time really gives us an advantage uh, to move very fast and efficiently. You know, our cost of target to IND is less than half the industry average. And so, you know, we're, we're quite pleased, you know, so far today, the company's been going for a couple of years, but we've been quite efficient at going after these. And then the, you know, the one follow-up point to this is, as I mentioned earlier, we, we don't like to take risks in biology. There's just a lot of opportunity to convert, you know, these biologics validated targets and, and convert them to small molecules so that they can be more accessible to all, but also be best-in-class medicines uh, that can be taken orally so they're um, better patient compliance. Uh, they don't have the storage, you know, refrigeration uh, needs that, you know, biologics often do. Uh, they, they can be shipped and stored for long periods of time. So um, 
you know, a lot of different reasons there why, you know, we believe uh, that we're, why we have been successful already. Take me through your drug discovery process. How do you go from a target to a, a drug candidate? You know, we, we probably spend most of our time, and, you know, like most companies, we spend most of our time on target selection. You know, where you start, that's where, that, that is one of the most important decisions. Uh, I, I, you know, mentor a lot of students, uh, former students that start companies, and, you know, they quickly have a target and they just want to use it as proof of principle. And I always, you know, keep reiterating to them, you know, your choice of target, that, that's where the momentum starts. And it's really hard to let go once you start, you know, investing into that. So we analyze the targets very carefully based on our company mission, which is to make best-in-class medicines accessible to all. You know, that's, that's where we really want to make a difference in the world and what gets us up every single morning. So a lot of time is spent on target selection. Um, but once a target is selected, you know, back to your you know, direct question about how do we go from, you know, to the drug candidate, we created a special entity called Basecamp Bio that focuses on the creative process of early drug discovery. And, and then we then integrate the preclinical with clinical very early, probably earlier than most, to make safety a key component in the design uh, process. Your lead candidate is in phase one testing for pulmonary arterial hypertension and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Why did you start there? Yeah, and the, the third area where we started was also metabolic and diabetes. Um, you know, we when we were starting the company and, and we knew that we had the power of this platform of taking a structure-based approach, converting biologics, validated targets into small molecules, we, we asked ourselves you know, where is the biggest impact that we can make globally? Where's the biggest global unmet need? And, and again, like the target choice, you know, we, we had a, a good long debate about this. We chose chronic diseases um, for two reasons. You know, first, we thought it was the biggest global need, you know, pulmonary, cardiovascular, and metabolic are, you know, three of the biggest areas that affect, you know, the planet. Second, you know, it's also where do you not focus? Now, I have a lot of friends. There's so many great minds that are focused on in areas like cancer. Um, you know, we, we really didn't think we could add, you know, a lot of value there today. So, but the overwhelming, you know, uh, part of the answer was, you know, chronic diseases. Um, this does, by the way, create a big challenge for us because most biotechs do not go after chronic diseases. Most, you know, the investors, you know, get intimidated by the large phase three trial sizes. And, and so it takes a certain, you know, amount of, you know, commitment to go after chronic diseases, as well as a certain commitment from, you know, specific type of investors that, you know, want to go into this because they see the, the global big picture for this. Uh, back to, you know, the immediate question of, you know, pulmonary arterial hypertension and IPF, it was really, we were focused on pulmonary uh, and metabolic and cardiovascular. Uh, PAH is a disease that is clearly a big unmet need, particularly for remodeling. There's a lot of vasodilators out there that work really, really well uh, that can help you with the symptoms of the disease. But there was a hypothesis where there was a, you know, a peptide molecule, a peptide drug that, you know, had proof of concept in the clinic, we looked at it and said, we could make a small molecule 
that could replace this that would be much better, have much better PK and PD properties. And so that's the reason, for all those reasons, the Venn diagram sort of centered on uh, this particular disease. How are these conditions treated today and, and how effective are existing therapies? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, most people, when you, you know, you find out, first of all, you know, just identifying pulmonary arterial hypertension uh, is a long process. Uh, you, you go to, you know, the cardiologist, they send you over to the pulmonologist, and eventually you find out that you have PAH. Uh, the, the main way that you're treated is with vasodilators. And, and again, these help to, they help with the symptoms of the disease, but they really don't um, alter the progression of the disease. And so uh, trying to have a, a drug, a medicine that can help both treat the symptoms and the, uh, the remodeling or anti-remodeling, this is really, really important. So I think the, the whole area, there's a new generation of medicines that are starting to come out. Uh, you may have seen the TGF-beta, uh, Merck-acquired Acceleron, um, and there's some other uh, medicines that are now starting to come out, but they're not in the market yet. This is, for this disease, uh, there's a really big unmet need to, um, you know, not just treat the symptoms, but also treat the disease itself. So uh, that's, that's where we're heading with um, relative to existing therapies. Oh, what's your candidate and, and how does it work? Yeah, so the, the Apollin receptor is a receptor that, uh, again, it's obviously a G-protein-coupled receptor. And as a G-protein-coupled receptor, the natural endogenous ligand is called Apollin. And there's another ligand uh, um, called Allobella. Uh, these peptides, hormones uh, in your body, they express um, both in the um, pulmonary as well as the cardiovascular systems. And so it's been demonstrated that uh, they can improve cardiac output uh, while at the same time uh, start to help with the, the remodeling in the pulmonary system. You mentioned you're also working on a therapy for type 2 diabetes. What's your candidate for that and how does that work? Yeah, so, you know, kind of the holy grail of GPCRs, um, particularly from a, a structure-based drug discovery, is the, the GLP-1 receptor. And there are right now peptide drugs that are out there uh, and they work, you know, quite well. Uh, most of these are injectables. And so patient compliance can be an issue uh, as well as cost. Uh, we believe that with a small molecule replacement of those, there'll be one, you'll, you know, as some of our KOLs tell us, you know, my patient, you know, my diabetes patient, they want to, you know, get in the car, drink their coffee and take their pill and drive to work. And we also believe that the, again, the pharmaceutics properties, you know, the bioavailability, the PKPD can, you know, better be controlled through a small molecule. Uh, so again, it's a validated target, um, you know, very well established. Uh, pharmaceutical companies have done beautiful work over the years, really demonstrating and understanding uh, this particular receptor. And so we're able to follow, you know, follow that path that they've really blazed and try to come up with a you know really good small molecule replacement. So this would what what existing therapy would it replace? So there are GLP one receptor uh, agonists that are on the market right now. You've probably seen the commercials on TV: um, Ozempic, uh, Ribelsis, um, uh, Trulicity, and so these that are already on the market. Uh, these are the these are the 
medicines that we'd be looking to at least complement uh, what's currently out there. Last month, you unveiled Basecamp Bio. This is a wholly owned subsidiary that will fuse Shoti's pipeline and also partner with other pharmaceutical companies for high value targets. What was the thinking in setting up the subsidiary? So over the years, I've learned a lot of lessons about what, you know, what's, what's worked well and also what have been some of the challenges in building biotech companies. One of my personal frustrations is, you know, and I've been very fortunate, you know, I've started a number of companies, uh, but they get acquired. And when they get acquired, that's great. That's great for shareholders. It's great for the employees. It's great for the patients as well, um, because when we partner, we're partnering or, or, you know, selling the company because a pharmaceutical partner can help us to get the medicine, you know, to the market, you know, very quickly, very efficiently. Um, but when that happens, the, you know, most of the company winds up getting kind of discarded, disbanded. Uh, one of the recent companies, I started a company called Receptos in 2009, focused on G-protein coupled receptors and structure-based drug discovery. The company was acquired by Celgene. Uh, they wanted the S1P1 agonist asset. So that was great. It was a great success story. That medicine is now on the market, uh, sold by BMS, called Zaposia, really helping you know MS patients tremendously. Uh, but But the learning is, it was unfortunate everything else that we had done, the team that we had built, uh, all the other assets, you know, really, you know, weren't of interest, but there was a lot of value still left there. So we decided when we set this up, when we set Shoti up, we would use the subsidiary model. And so each of our programs are in a, you know, in a Delaware C corporation. So if we do want to partner or acquisition, we can do it very efficiently and effectively. And then back to the immediate question, Basecamp Bio. One of the other experiences that I've seen in companies that I've been involved in, as well as other companies, is that as soon as a company goes into the clinic and times get tough, the first thing that gets cut is often early stage discovery. And and I didn't want to see that happen this time. And we had a unique opportunity to recruit an entire team, you know, all at once where um, where we could focus the early discovery. We would keep it as a separate wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, that way, they could focus on early, early technology development, early drug discovery development, kind of like a, a Skunk's Works project from day one, and and maintain that culture of creativity very early on, or at the same time enforcing, and not shouldn't say enforcing, but you know really strengthening the process of preclinical and clinical, and getting everything through efficiently. You know, getting these molecules to the clinic. So that's that's why we we created Basecamp Bio. Raymond Stevens, CEO of Show T. Ray, thanks so much for your time today. Daniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week. Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.